Good morning, I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the December 22, 2015 edition of Ask a Leader. With a little time on your hands over the holidays, why not check out your local options of culture? On this show, we check out the bounty at the Orange County Museum of Art, the Bowers Museum, and the Irvine Museum with their respective representatives, Cassandra Koblenz, Cody Lee, and Jean Stern. It's kind of an annual tradition and a treat to present the riches about us in a compact triangle in the cities of Newport Beach, Santa Ana, and Irvine. And we never shrink from presenting the visual in these bright radio waves. We'll be right back after a short station break. Welcome back to the show. My first guest is Cassandra Koblenz, Orange County Museum of Arts Director of Public Engagement. And that's you, public. She's going to engage you for sure. Cassandra began her career in the Museum Education Department at the J. Paul Getty Museum. She was the head of academic initiatives and managed public programs at UCLA's Hammer Museum in L.A. She also curated numerous exhibitions at the Fabric Workshop and Museum in Philadelphia, as well as the Scottsdale Museum of Contemporary Art in Arizona. She completed her Bachelor's of Arts degree from Cornell University and her Master of Arts from the Center for Curatorial Studies at Bard College. Nearly breathlessly, we'll attempt to cover Orange County Museum's arts offerings over these holidays. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Cassandra Koblenz. Thank you, Claudia. Uh, Ask a Leader has carried the water for Sandal Birk, artist of the American Quran, which turned out to be the Tuesday before the Friday night attacks in Paris, France. The podcast is uh, available on my askaleader.com website. Uh, it's the November 11th show. Cassandra, let's hear your own brief take on that exhibit that is one of several featured at the Orange County Museum of Art, among other exhibits there. Sure. Sandow Burke American Quran is it's an extraordinary exhibition that actually Sandow has been working on for nine years. So it's a wonderful opportunity for us here in Orange County because this is the culmination of this really monumental project of the artist. And he began the project actually shortly after nine eleven when he he's someone who travels a lot and, and he's a surfer. Um, and spends has spent a lot of time in Islamic countries and in those uh, travels and explorations, he began to feel like he wanted to have a better understanding of this culture that here in the United States, following 9/11, had you know there was the questions around um, Islam, Islamic culture, and even I guess Islamophobia in today's day and age persists for sure. And um, he felt like he himself wanted to have a better understanding of of the Quran, which many people believe to be one of the most important books um, that exists. And so he took it upon himself to, um, at first he was studying it, and then he decided to transcribe it. Um, he did a lot of research on, um, on the structure and the format of traditional Qurans, and he was able to um, get his hands on an English-language version, which was more than 100 years old and therefore free of, free of any copyright um, constraints, 
And so he, he <laughs> there are over 200 pieces, and he um, transcribed word for word every word and, and all the details of all the stories of the Quran, and then illustrated each, each one, each surah, which is the word for the chapters of the Quran. So we've covered all that, and and I'd like to know just a little bit about uh, what you're seeing uh, in the way of interactions in each of those galleries where Sandow's work is featured. Is there any? Are there, do you have any little stories to tell us, and what that, what people are in for besides the work there? Um, I'm not sure about stories, but we have had a really positive response. Yes, I think, you know who would have been able to predict how increasingly timely the content of this exhibition has become and people are just really eager to have conversations and, and understand. I mean, Sandow has often said that the, the, the exhibition is as much about the United States and, and our culture here as anything else and so I think it really yes. is a reflection on that. Um, we've had really, we've you know, had school groups through and we've had um, all kinds of adult groups and tours, and, and mostly, I guess, rather than any one specific thing, people just really want to spend time with it, and it, it sort of begs for that um, kind of lengthy engagement. And this exhibit Awful. is there until the uh, January, uh, excuse me, February 18th. February so, 28th. Sorry, 20th, I mean. Uh, 28th. 28th. The last day of February. Uh, the last day. Um, so what I, I really recommend people sp uh, set aside... First, I, I say several hours just to see this exhibit. So you're going to be taking some passes back here several times uh, while this and the other exhibits that will also leave on February 28th are there. It's really, really important. Uh, so I, I thought I would mention yes. while we're still on the subject of Sandow Work Show, we have a really important public program coming up on January 24th that okay. will en enable our visitors to not only understand the exhibition more, but really delve deeper into the complexity uh, around Islamic culture and contemporary American life. We have um, Sandow also published, published a book um, in conjunction with his project, and one of the essayists for the book is a woman, Zarina Grewal, who is a professor at Yale University. So she will be giving a talk on Sandow's project and the relationship it has to Islamic culture and contemporary American life, as well as then we're going to have a panel discussion, um, which is moderated by Adina Lekovic, who is um, with the Muslim Public Affairs Council in Los Angeles. And um, also at the table will be Professor Ruven Firestone of Hebrew Union College. He's also a rabbi, so lends a different perspective to the, the context and the, and the subject, as well as Amir Hussein of Loyola Marymount University. So it, it's going to be a really rich and, and engaging conversation. Each of these speakers is super dynamic and interesting, and I think um, it will really lend another layer of understanding to the project. That's January 24th. So yeah. I think it's probably a good idea for people to first take it all in, and then you're ready for the talk. And what time is that again? That's uh, at 2 p.m. At 2 p.m. And okay. we are getting a really exciting response. Um, people are very interested in attending that event, and people can go to our website to reserve seats for that event if they're interested in coming. I recommend people do that. OCMA.net, folks. So that is a remarkable uh, opportunity. And the, and there's also, we can mention Fridays, folks. Are they still they're They're there. They're on the tab. But we have Fridays are falling on the holidays. So how does that work out with the free Fridays? 
That's true. So, yes, we are normally free and open every Friday, but uh, because of Christmas and New Year's Day falling on a Friday this year, we're going to be open as a special gesture to our community on Saturday, January 2nd. And we hope that people bring their friends and families when they're, you know, thinking of what to do to do something fun and interesting for the whole family on, on over the holidays. We'd love for you to come and visit the museum. Well, my guest is Cassandra Koblenz, OCMA, uh, Orange County Museum of Art Director of Public Engagement. She's posting us on their offerings over the holidays with modern and contemporary art that challenge its zip code and beyond, I must say. Another work of that is on display is by R.K. Dubois, now coming to see us as his first hop on the West Coast from his native New York habitat. It's a tough one to explain uh, on just the back of an envelope. Do us the honor, please, of just telling us this also is running through till the end of February. Yes, our Luke Dubois now is the title of the exhibition. And Luke Dubois, is he's really an extraordinary person. Um, he is an artist, he's a composer, he's kind of a computer genius. He works basically with technology and all the sort of tumult of information and media that we live with on a day-to-day basis in our life. And he takes all of that information and technology and transforms it into his artwork. So he takes the subject of, you know, every film that has ever been uh, awarded Best Picture for the Academy of uh, you know, for the Oscars, and condenses it into one piece. You can, or and um, or the subject of uh, online dating sites. Well, uh, the or the the founders of Google. So really diverse um, contents and subject matter. But he he has a way of exploring issues around time that is really um, extraordinary and compelling. That is the next one. And then we have the Pacific Project with Cambodian artist Kwe Samnang, untitled Where Is My Land and Air are the titles of each of his installations. Can you give us a little uh, what we're in for there, Cassandra? Yes, this is the first in a series of uh, video uh, projects that we'll be engaging with, with under the title of the Pacific Project. Kwe Samnang um, deals with environmental issues in Southeast Asia. He is Cambodian, and um, two of the, so there's three videos on view currently at the museum. Two of the the projects deal with the current situation in in Cambodia, and then a third explores the environmental context in Japan. So uh, takes us out of our bubble and uh, confronting us with what's what is happening with great persistence uh, yeah, they're beyond really our shores. They're really poetic and really quite stunning pieces of video art. Then we have Olga Laz, um, a mass and swell. It's an interesting one. I It left me wondering uh, with how tactile it appears, uh, what we as the public are allowed to be doing around that. So can you talk to us about a mass and swell? Sure. Olga was commissioned to do a site-specific installation in our muse- museum pavilion, and she really had free reign to be as creative as, as and experimental as she wanted to be. She often uses discarded materials and explores the relationship between the man-made and the natural. And the piece uh, plays with that. They're all, um, you know, synthetic kind of foam materials that hint at having a relationship to the mass and swell movement of an ocean wave. So um, viewers can sort of experience the very tactile surfaces. We can. Colorful. 
We can. I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't clear on that. I don't know if I don't remember seeing it was posted. There were so many lovely patrons taking in all the sights and the sounds when I was there. And so I. Uh, so when we see those kinds of tactile things, it, it's just like it has to hop out that you you are invited to take part in that. And I, does Mass and Swell also well, have some? It's not. It's it's more for just viewing rather than okay. rather than touching. No pause. Okay. It it, it does sort of you know. It looks like it's something that you might want to touch, but actually it's, it's not meant to be. Okay. But it is a wonderful, playful, sculptural experience. <laughs> it, indeed it is. Well, we are talking with Cassandra Koblenz at the Orange County Museum of Art. And now you can run by all of the the details, particularly so people know. Uh, we've given the the uh, websites ocma.net for people to keep track of, of the daily breaking news. But just give us all the, the details, please. Where you are and, how, um, and any other special uh, events for folks to take in. Yes, thought I might also yes. mention in conjunction with Luke Dubois, we have some really fantastic music events. I mentioned he's a composer, and he um, will be coming here to perform on February 21st. Um, and he will he often collaborates with two extraordinary musicians, Todd Reynolds and Leslie Flanagan, and they will both be here with him um, in a really wonderful dynamic uh, musical performance that will engage the visual and the oral senses, I think, uh, it'll be really an amazing uh, performance opportunity here in Orange County. Um, very rare for us to have all those three performers here. Uh, that's at 2 p.m. on February 21st. And I'm also collaborating with um, UCI, and their um, uh, music and technology program will have a, on our free Friday night in January, January 29th, we have 11 MFA students performing here um, in response to, to Luke Dubois and his project. That will be wonderful. We've been blessed with all the riches over there at the Orange County Museum of Art. And I want to know, is, is there a, um, a little projection of when you're going to be leaving that venue for the, the Performing Arts Center in Costa Mesa? I, I'm not sure I can give you a specific ah. time, but I know that everything's um, going really well in, in the progress towards our, our, our new museum and that transition. I guess uh, you're involved in engagement, and there's another department involved in packing. Packing and moving. <laughs> packing, yes. And cl- closing the no, real estate deals. It's a big job, and we're definitely here um, at our site for the next year or so, and I have lots of wonderful programming and exciting things in the works. So it, we, we are moving forward, but I think there's still lots of great things that we're going to do here in our, in our, they are. In our they, current home. Jordan El-Gorabli was interviewing uh, along with Sandal Birk uh, on my November 11th show, and he was pondering, how did Newport Beach uh, scoop Los Angeles our, a cultural community on being able to present American Quran? So the Orange County Museum of Art is really, really a, a very progressive cultural setting that give us so much ahead of the whole rest of the Southern California region. It's I, I, kudos to all of you. And uh, that's why we started with them today with the cultural offerings for the holidays. So Cassandra, uh, anything you want to sign off with besides, I just want everybody to know you are in Newport Beach. We and, are in Newport Beach, and, uh, not far five, from Fashion Island. Not far. Uh, and 850 San Clemente Drive, and our hours are 11 to 5 p.m. We are typically free on Fridays, but uh, on the 25th of December and the 1st of January, we will be closed because of the holidays. But like I said, we have that free special free day on January 2nd. Wow. 
that's going to be terrific. So I want to thank you for being on the show today. I know lots going on there in the office. Thank you so much. And uh, I wish you happy holidays. Okay. Thank you. Same okay. to you. All the best. Thanks. Okay. You too. Bye-bye.
Things will have it. We had a little change up. I'm trying still to queue up Cody Lee, but thankfully we have a very flexible uh, guest that we were planning to have after Cody Lee, and that is, of course, the inestimable Jean Stern. 
from the Irvine Museum. So he is anchoring down the show with uh, his longevity in art scholarship and management. This is Mr. John Stern. He's an authority on California Impressionism. He has been the executive director of the Irvine Museum since its inception in January 1993 and has an established national presence for the uh, Irvine Museum in the fields of California art history and through a noteworthy international series of books, exhibitions, lectures, articles, and video documentaries. He early appeared on this show when his museum celebrated its 20th anniversary. John Stern returns today to showcase the treasures from the Irvine Museum's collection currently displayed called Independent Visions, Women Artists of California, 1880 to 1940. Welcome back to the show, John. Oh, Claudia, I'm delighted to be on, on your program again. It was such fun the last time. Well, I enjoyed it. I'm glad you, you, were, you were right there. I, I was just coming back from Cuba, and I wasn't so sure, and there you were right in studio. It was such a comfort, and, and to talk about what we did was great. So lots of artists, schools are represented in this exhibition of 26 women whose lives span 1848 to 1963. Well done to all of these works that are on display belong at the Irvine Collection? No, no, it, uh, they don't. About, about half of them do. Uh, the other half are borrowed from the um, community, from various private collectors uh, throughout the, the California collecting community. So we have, we have some wonderful paintings that we normally wouldn't be able to show because they're hanging in some private collector's house. Okay, well, we're glad that they're all there. So... These women, did they always paint under their own name? Were they always established? Well, they, sometimes they painted in, um, in abbreviated forms of their name. One in particular, a, a wonderful artist named Euphemia Charlton Fortune. Yes, yes. Um, she went by her first initials, E.C. Fortune. Um, this was still um, a, a leftover... Um, Victorian era thing about not having women earn their own living, so she felt it advantageous to go by her middle initials so that people wouldn't, would not immediately know she was a woman. But generally in California, this is a little bit later than most of what was happening in, in the rest of the country in terms of, of long-term art establishments that, that were for men only. They did not exist in California towards the early part of the 20th century. Women were were among the establishment. They were always there. They, they had come with the very first artists in, in the 1880s, 1890s, and, and uh, it, it wasn't so difficult for them to, to function and, and to take the leading roles in, in local art institutions. Yes, and, uh, and she had an interesting uh, sort of a, um, a career. And based, she's based around in San Francisco. She stayed pretty much there. She got to tour. She was she had privilege, and uh, she was able to take in training and travel and all that around there. But let's tell us about the group of progressive artists, many of whom were uh, women, and they introduced modernist styles and what that brought to realistic painting. Uh, Henrietta Shore, among others, is represented at your exhibit. Yes, uh, Henrietta Shore, Mabel Alvarez, Luvina Visakal. Uh, these were artists that had trained in Europe, that had, that had been with all the other professional institutions of learning. They, they were fully trained professional artists, and uh, they came to Southern California, and they 
were the ones that pushed the envelope, that, that welcomed the very early progressive trends, um, post-impressionism, fauvism, uh, a lot of other isms, and there's even an abstract painting hanging in this exhibition, which is something that we would not be able to do with a man artist. It, it, it turns out that the abstract painting, it's the only, it's the only abstract pa- painting we've ever displayed in the museum here. Uh, it's by a woman artist, uh, by Ruth Peabody. Oh. Tell us more about Ruth Peabody. This, this, I want to make it all the backstory. People will be able to see the front story when they see all these lovely framed works of art. Well, Ruth and her mother, Eleanor Colburn, who was also a professional artist, they, they came from back east, from Ohio. They had both been divorced, and they decided to, to live in a small house on Coast Highway in Laguna Beach. <laughs> and they were very active in the Laguna Beach Art Association. Uh, Eleanor Colburn was a teacher. Uh, Ruth Peabody was also a teacher, but Ruth was, in addition to a painter, she was a sculptor, uh, did a lot of works that can be seen in the community in Laguna Beach. And she, um, they worked together, and they were very active with, with uh, all sorts of, of art associations, primarily the Laguna Beach Art Association. But um, the daughter, uh, Ruth, um, actually had a period where she did a series of abstract paintings that were displayed at the Laguna Museum in 1936. Very, very unusual. In fact, it's, it's unique. Uh, for this period um, among artists in Southern California. Wow. And they're right there, all of them. Well, when I, I look at the the work that uh, Henrietta Shore brings, it's, um, it's a, it reminds me of a heady sort of uh, Georgia O'Keeffe kind of, um, you know, rendering there. What Do, do people say that? Or, I mean, or she, she is a... No, no, people say that, absolutely. It, it, it looks like she was very much looking at Georgia O'Keeffe's work. The one we have in particular the, is a gladiola blossom that's floating yes. in space, <laughs> uh, very reminiscent of, of Georgia O'Keeffe. And um, we have another wonderful painting by Louise Everett Nimmo, also very um, reminiscent of Georgia O'Keeffe. It's of a, a giant century cactus. It's a beautiful painting. It's one of the most popular paintings we have because it's so delicate. Uh, it's covered with undulating lines. It have has, has a very soft, naturalistic feel to it, but it just is just harmonized with beautiful lines. It's it's one of the most popular paintings we have on display. And you're also showcasing uh, the I guess is it the largest one uh, there. It's about we have. A, a different thought, set. Yeah, the Jesse Botke. Je- uh, Jessica Arms Botke with the independent visions painted. Probably it's probably one of the more modern of all of them there. But that's one you're showcasing. Tell us a little bit about her and uh, a tease about what we can see in this featured piece. Well, Botke is a very popular artist. She was active in Chicago and then came to Los Angeles and then settled in in Ventura County. Uh, she was fascinated by elegant line, by beautiful design, by bright colors. Uh, she's a strongly in the American Art Deco uh, field of painting. She even uses gold leaf, yeah. and silver leaf, to to give this radiance to her work. And in 1952, she was commissioned by the Oaks Hotel in Ojai to do the mural for their ballroom, and uh, she painted. Um, a large painting that uh, measures seven feet by twenty-six feet, 
a scene of the Everglades with, with dozens of different birds and gold leaf and flowers. Very elegant thing that hung on the, the ballroom wall for maybe 40 years, and then they decided, the hotel decided to expand, and they were going to tear the wall down. And they called us, and they said, uh, essentially, if you can take it off, you can have it. And uh, wow. luckily, it wasn't painted directly on the wall. It was painted on two large pieces of canvas. And after um, months of uh, preparation, restoration, uh, the pieces were, were saved. And um, we displayed them originally here about four years ago to huge popular appeal. And we decided, well, let's put them up again because... Um, they're so large and they're so fantastic. Now, we don't have a wall that's 26 feet long, so we display it in its two parts. It was painted on two separate pieces of canvas that were joined together. Uh, so as you come into the museum, there's, there's a scene of the Everglades on one side and a scene on the other, and you feel like you're right in the middle of it. It's very well, effective. Well done. And, you know, John, this, is a, this speaks to the point of how important, you know, where wealth can really get a lot of jobs done with Joan Irvine Smith's endowment and uh, others that are, I, I mean, you're, it's not strictly her, her wealth, but there are uh, other contributions. But it it's, uh, gives you the ability to retrieve and restore with the, the most, uh, with the best of, of techniques, a piece like this that would have been, it would have been lost were the resources not available. Oh, exactly, exactly, Claudia. It, it's it's a wonderful feeling for a museum to be able to say this needs to be saved, and to talk to the board of directors, and they say do it, and uh, it worked out very well. And it's 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 a gorgeous um, work of art. I, I invite all of you listeners to to come and experience this. It's just tremendous to be in the center of this huge painting. Well. I, I know you have lots of different groups coming in. So the, there's school groups and uh, retirees, I mean, the, and everyone, we're in between. So what, what uh, can you tell us what, what happens when the school groups come in and they're surrounded in the Everglades and it's, it's technically beautiful and an opulent rendering? Well, we, with, with the school kids, we let them in before we open to the public. Yes. We, we open at 11, uh, Tuesday through Saturday, but... With the school kids, they come in at 9.15. They have the whole museum to themselves. Uh, they're usually 60 kids, uh, one school bus. Um, the museum uh, pays for the school bus. Otherwise, our schools could not take advantage of coming to see us because they just don't have the money for things like that. And um, the kids uh, have a good time. They, they get a lesson, and then they go back to their classroom, and usually they send us a big envelope full of drawings that they did of their favorite paintings that they saw here. Uh, and we've been doing this for 23 years. Uh, some of our original kids that sent in drawings, we still have the drawings, uh, they're probably in graduate school now. So it, it's, it's a remarkable thing, and, and the kids love it. The kids love to look at art. Excellent. For those of you who just joined us, John Stern, Executive Director of the Irvine Museum, is talking about the current exhibition there at the Irvine Smith Museum, I sometimes call it, The Independent Visions, Women Artists of California, 1880 to 1940. It runs until January 21st. It's been there for a bit of time, so uh, this you don't have a lot of time, folks. Uh, this will take you just past the Martin Luther King holiday, but uh, I... Uh, 
there isn't as much time as with some of the other exhibits that we're talking about that are running a little bit longer. So uh, I wanted to have you tell us a little bit about Grace Carpenter Hudson. She's a portraitist that lived from 1865 to 1937. She was also based in San Francisco. She endeavored to capture and preserve Native American culture. Some of it was a bit sentimental, but tell us a little bit about her. Well, Grace Hudson uh, was a, um, a professionally trained artist, and uh, she and her husband, who was a, uh, um, an anthropologist, um, they decided to work with the Native Americans in, in Northern California, and um, she turned to painting um, their lives. So a lot of her paintings show children, um, Native American children, um, in various ordinary scenes, we have a gorgeous little, beautiful little painting of a child fishing with his pet dog, and um, it's a very popular painting because it's, it's just charming, a charming, charming painting. So um, she and her husband uh, were very interested in Native American history, and um, they had a huge collection of, of Native American handicrafts and artifacts, which which they eventually, most of them ended up in the Smithsonian Institution or the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago. So a very interesting and important painter, um, and you don't see too much of her work down here. There's a museum devoted to her work in Northern California, um, but, but we, we were able to find this beautiful little painting in a private collector, local private collector, uh, who was uh, very generous in letting us borrow the painting for four months. Okay. And they're all the way till the end of January. Well, if there there's a bit here for everybody from uh, the you know the uh, middle of the 19th century uh, beginnings that is the, the, where these artists started out until the about 1963. So um, that is available until January 21st to take it. Is there any um, are there any special events going on between now and the closure of this exhibit? Uh, no, not here. We're we're expecting a lot of people towards the end. Uh, as you know, it's it's free admission, and we validate parking here. Uh, we're closed Sunday and Monday, but uh, we usually get a lot of people towards the the last few days of the exhibition, and we'll continue to get the school kids in the morning before we open to the public, and we get a lot of uh, other uh, groups, extended community education groups, emeritus groups. Um, it's it's a really a, a wonderful community place for people that love this type of art. And I've just hastened to mention it's you're located at 1881 Von Carmen Avenue on the ground floor there. That's and correct. I, I uh, folks, if you've ne- I, I don't know if it's, it's the best kept secret in some of suburbia here, but I, I find that it's the the coolest thing to do. I pick up somebody from the airport. They've got. You know, they're willing. It was maybe a long flight. I take them straight over to the Irvine Museum, and it's sort of a very wonderful note to start anybody's visit on. <laughs> I mean, you must have a lot of traffic coming over from the airport, no? We do. We do. And we're in an office building, so we get a lot of traffic from people that are visiting, you know, attorneys or advisors or whatever. So it's, it's, it can be a very busy place, and uh, we love to see people here. We love to talk to people. You do. Well, I want to thank you, John Stern, for coming back and presenting this wonderful work of women artists through, the, as I say, the January 21st. And, uh, Jean, I want to wish you a happy holiday. Same to you, Claudia, and we're always delighted to be on your program, so 
come and visit and invite me to the next program. I frankly, I can't get there enough. Thank you so much again. Take care. All the best. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Bye. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. It's such a pleasure to have finally on the show Cody Lee, the digital marketing manager for Bowers Museum. He's had stints at Seegerstrom Center for the Arts, Long Beach Museum of Art, Utah Museum of Fine Arts, and the Johns Hopkins University. Cody earned his BA in art history from the University of Utah and an MA in the Museum Studies from Johns Hopkins. Welcome to the show, Cody. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Oh, wow. We're going to race through all this. I, uh, we've got the Coopay's Great Queen Gown. That's the first exhibit that's going to close January 3rd. Just a word or two about that. Absolutely. The gown is really famous, having been seen on Rihanna at the Met Gala, and it's designed by Pei, who's the first couture designer from China. Um, it's on view, as you said, here at the Bowers from January 3rd, and it's one object, but it's pretty amazing. So people who like fashion or, or the art of textile should definitely be sure to see it. Then we have the contemporary Japanese bamboo art. That's also to January 3rd. That's lovely. Exactly. That's, uh, again, bamboo is kind of a, a common plant, but not a very common art form. It's incredibly intricate and difficult to produce. A couple of the artists in that exhibition are designated by the government as national living treasures, which means they're sort of guardians of their culture and of their art form, and it's a very incredible exhibition. It's hard to describe the intricacy of the work, but when right. people see it in person, it's really great. Well, we never shy away from the the visual here on the radio waves, as I said at the very beginning of the show, so uh, the, trust, trust Cody. It is really, really remarkable there. Then there is the exhibit, The Red That Colored the World, now, I happened to, I got a little inside scoop from an artist, Cody. Some of us know about the royal purple color that comes from snails, and you're here to tell us about red coming from a bug that's, that made art what it is from the Renaissance until now. You're exactly right. There's a, there's a bug that lives in Mexico. It's called the cochineal beetle. Um, so when the Spanish arrived around the 16th century and discovered this bug in Mexico, um, that it produced an incredible red dye that they hadn't seen before. So the Spanish were really fast to catch on to that and began exporting it. And after silver, it actually became their largest export and had an incredible effect in the art world. So um, for hundreds of years and even today, cochineal red became the, the most vibrant and amazing red color. So this exhibition includes works that all are made with that cochineal red pigment, and they're loaned from museums all over the world. Some of them come from the United States and from Europe. And there are about 100 objects in the exhibition. There are textiles, manuscripts, tapestries, and paintings that come from all over the world and span about 400 years of culture. And what they all have in common is, is that bread that's produced from, from a tiny, cute little bug. Is that bug still doing its job? Exactly. We even have a few living on a cactus here at the museum. We don't turn them into, into pigment. We just look at them. But that bug <laughs> still does its trick. Oh, they've been spared, like the, the turkey in the White House. <laughs> exactly. The bug in the museum. All right. So, uh, and so, so just run quickly through all the genres that, that red bugs is showing up in at the Bowers. Um, so some of the early works are tapestries that are about 400 years old. Some of those are from Europe. Some are from Mexico and Central America. Um, they're also in textiles from that period and, and later, including some contemporary works by 
um, contemporary designers. One of them is Orlando Doogie, who works in New Mexico now. Um, and, and sort of in between that, lots and lots of other works from all over the world. Paintings are amazing. There's an El Greco painting, uh, which, you know, even non-art historians recognize that from their survey class. Yeah. Um, so there are works wow. from just about every, every part of the world and from the last 400 years. It's pretty incredible. Then, and that exhibit goes until? Until February 21st. All right, folks. Then uh, there is Mystery from the Tomb. Tell us a little bit about that one. It's exciting. This is from the museum's permanent collection. Uh, we have a mummy mask. It's about 2,000 years old. It's from Egypt, and, and it looks like other mummy masks, if you've ever seen one. It's colorful, it's golden, it's beautiful and intricate, and there's kind of a mystery about this one. Um, it, we've installed it with mirrors so that visitors can also look inside the mask, and you can see inside of it that there's the impression of a face, which uh, experts oh. have actually learned is, is very unusual. That doesn't exist on, on many other mummy masks from that period, and they're not sure exactly how or why it was created that way. Um, even though this is something that's 2,000 years old, there's still a whole lot of research to be done and a lot to learn about it, which, which is interesting other than, other than what we already know about other mummy masks. So it's, it's rare because of its age, but even more rare because it's different than others from that time. Wow. Well, for those of you just tuned in, we're just racing Cody Lee, Digital Marketing Manager at the Bowers Museum, through what's going on there for our viewing pleasure and our interacting pleasure over the winter holidays. Let's talk about the Popol Vuh, the watercolors of Diego Rivera that just opened and it's going to run until May. So folks have a little bit of time to see that, but now is a good time to check it out. Exactly. That just opened and people are very interested. This is called Popol Vuh, watercolors of Diego Rivera. Uh, people know Diego Rivera as the great Mexican muralist, but people have never seen these works uh, because they're loaned to us from the Diego Rivera Museum in Guanajuato, Mexico, and they've never been in the United States before. Um, Popo Vuh is a sacred text of the Maya people, the very ancient civilization, and it's their story of creation. And Diego Rivera was commissioned by the person who did the first full English translation of that sacred text to create these watercolors to illustrate it. So it's an ancient text created by an incredible artist who people know otherwise, and, and they've never been before in the United States. So it's a really incredible opportunity to see those, and, and they're just fascinating to look at. Always a tribute the Bowers board of directors that has this pull with institutions on every continent, I must say, around the world to bring us these otherworldly pleasures here. So then we have the some special event you're going to tell us about, and uh, the, we won't have time to talk about what's always on there, the sacred realms, the, the, the temple murals and the, the headhunters. Let's just lock, uh, close with a few comments about some special uh, events that you have for the holidays. Sure, absolutely. Um, we should mention that during the holidays, we're, we're closing early on Christmas Eve and on New Year's Eve, and we'll be closed on the holidays themselves. But otherwise, our regular hours are Tuesday through Sunday from 10 to 4. And with all of our exhibitions, we have a total of 12 right now and from all over Whoa. the world, but we always have special programs going on. So lectures, music performances, workshops, classes, you name it, there's something for all ages and all interests. Um, a couple of great ones that are coming up would be there's actually on January 3rd, our free family festival. We have that on the first Sunday of every month. The festival is free. We invite families and as many people as we can get here, and, and we often get a lot. So on January 3rd, the theme is Kwanzaa. Um, and again, the festival will be free. So expect music, dancing, cultural performances, um, something for everyone, and, and definitely a family-friendly and, and fun event for that day. 
And it's such a lovely setting for these. When when I when some people think about family festivals, I think, oh my God, I gotta stay away from the hordes. But it it I think it just makes things much more hearty and uh, you say festive it is more festive and so it's a the bowers can handle it folks so any day whether it's a contemplative maybe lower turnout or a, a throngs are appearing the bowers has such a special setting to provide our experience of these fine arts it's you're at 2002 north main street there in santa Ana, and folks bowers.org gets you all the information that you need and cody just got us all the titillation that we uh, we, we started out wanting. So uh, I'm, I'm glad we caught you today. And the Target-sponsored free Sundays, they're not any longer, but the Santa Ana families are still treated to a break on uh, Sunday admissions, as a, or first Sundays. No, it's all Sundays. Um, you, first... You've got it both. We, we actually have great sponsorship from the Nicholas Endowment for the festivals, which are free. And for Santa Ana residents, every Sunday, every Sunday, admission. Blue Star admission is applies in the summer months for military families, and who knows, we'll have a chance to, to bring up that up in more detail, maybe around Memorial Day. That's what we'll do. I, okay, right. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Cody, for showing up here uh, at long last. Well, I want to thank you for your time, Cody. Merry happy holidays to you, and we'll we'll see you in Memorial Day and talk about the military family offerings. How about that? Absolutely. Thanks for speeding through it, and happy holidays to okay. you, too. Thank you. We'll do. So uh, we'll, I'm going to just close out the show here with, um, you know, some. So at the uh, end of the show, I just want to say the, the offerings are just a few here we've covered over the phone. I hope that wherever you are, that you will have uh, take a loved one or a new love to the exhibit and then, you know, show them around. So that was my wrap and a happy holiday greeting to all you listeners. I want to thank everybody for listening. Talk with you next week. <laughs>